0: Hello, I'm Philip.
1: And I'm Phoebe.
0: Welcome to Dad
1: and Daughter Do Death.
0: Good evening, Phoebe.
1: Hi, Dad, how are
0: you? I'm fine, I'm fine. So autumn has arrived.
1: It's here, we made it.
0: <laughs> Just into autumn.
1: Yep, I got my pumpkin cupcake. Foaming hand wash from Bath and Body Works. Out. Oh, I arrived
0: at it. That's good. It arrived
1: <laughs> and uh, it is now in use, but it is strictly being kept um, high up so that little hands can't uh, <laughs> waste it. <laughs> waste <Yep>. it. <laughs>
0: Very good. Yeah. And it's uh, getting so dark in the evenings now.
1: So early as well. So, uh, it's it's just a... the perfect
0: time to cuddle up with an episode of Dad and Daughter Do Death.
1: Absolutely. And And listen to
0: some true crime from UK and Europe. And here we are, episode 33.
1: Episode 33. Yeah. Racking
0: them up. We are, yeah. And it's it's, it's great that so many people are are still listening to us, so thank you very much. Any true crime news this week to report, Phoebe?
1: Well, it's been quite a busy week of true crime news, really, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. Um, So... (laughs) Um obviously last week we discussed which i think every other true crime podcast on the planet discussed um the story of Gabby Petito over the weekend a body was found in thought Wyoming. to be in in Wyoming um, and I think they think that she was found because of footage that a YouTuber picked up from a dash cam seeing the seeing their van and they handed it to the police and their and their body was found really close to there. Right. So that's how they were able to kind of find it because where do you even start looking for bodies in the national park? And Brian, Laundrie, her fiance who is a person of interest Mm -hmm. um, disappeared and hasn't been seen now since the 15th I think of September so
0: 14th 15th something like that yeah
1: some time now so they've confirmed that the body that they found was hers they've confirmed that she died of a homicide it wasn't natural causes or an animal and Brian is still very much on the run it's been really interesting I think to see kind of a a true crime case kind of play out in real time kind of in front of your eyes. Yeah. Um and I think and while it was kind of inevitable that she'd probably be found dead it's still obviously very sad that she was found dead but I'm just really hoping that we can find Brian now or well, they can find Brian. I'm not there searching that they can find Brian. Um <laughs> and find out what happened. But yes. It's uh it looks suspicious, doesn't it?
0: <laughs> it does and there was a gap between him going off hiking in that part of Florida and yeah. anyone sort of noticing or reporting that he'd gone missing. So and he I could th- be anywhere. As he I could think. be literally
1: yeah. anywhere in the world.
0: Or he, he could, could be. be dead
1: somewhere in that massive swamp. He could have be been eaten by alligators. Yep. It's Florida. <laughs> uh, and I, I really think that his parents have got something to answer for because they've helped him, really, <laughs> in one way or another by kind of, you know, facilitating things. So I think it'd be interesting to see...
0: If the police ever
1: are able to talk to them, if they've kind of got any sort of leg to stand on to talk to them, and I imagine that's probably what they're trying to do at the moment is find a reason to be able to kind of question them officially because he's only a person of interest. They've been able to kind of put out a warrant for his arrest because he was using her bank cards, but yeah. that's it. They've got nothing else to kind of officially tie him to what happened to her.
0: no. Very circumstantial, but it's all
1: really circumstantial.
0: Extremely suspicious, so suspicious. <laughs> suspicious.
1: And as a true crime follower, <laughs> it's uh, we know you don't how often these see innocent matter. people acting like this. Oh. The police have got a really difficult job on their hands at the moment. I think yeah. I'd put quite a lot of money on that. It was uh, Brian had something to do with it. And like I think I said too earlier this week, best case scenario, he abandoned her and left her behind and decided to drive back to Florida or well, 36 hours of driving that it was and left her for something to happen to her which isn't a crime, I don't think but it's not a very nice thing to do to somebody that you love so, you know, best case scenario that's what it did to her
0: Also this week there's been a really sad story of the mother, her two children and a friend that was staying over uh, hmm. in a little town near Derby and they have arrested Someone called Damien Bendel now for their murders. Not entirely sure what the motive is or what's been going on there. Just a really sad case and particularly sad for the uh, parents of the girl that was having a sleepover.
1: Yeah, definitely. Oh, and the
0: dad of the uh, two the yeah. kids who uh, was obviously devastated by what had happened and as you would be.
1: The other big news this week has been about Sabina Nessa, the teacher, primary school teacher, um from London, who was murdered in London last Friday night, yeah. which has sparked all sorts of outrage online, um, and rightly so. Another lady walking somewhere. You know, walking home, walking to meet a friend, as a lady should be able to do, <laughs> alone yep. on a Friday night. In,
0: in London. Um,
1: in London, being murdered, which is just awful, awful, awful. Well,
0: coming so soon after the Sarah Everard case, when there was, a, again, an outcry why women shouldn't be able to walk alone yeah. at night without a fear of being attacked
1: I read a thing earlier that said um, at least 108 women have been killed so far this year by men in England. Mixture of kind of domestic things, random attacks, sex attacks, things like that. Just, you know, where are we? That's kind of one every other day, really, isn't it, so far <laughs> this year, where we are kind of in the year and how Me much more much. is Yeah, two-thirds of um, the way
0: through the year, maybe. Yeah, we are. And Three that's just terrific. Yeah.
1: Uh, fingers crossed, again, that they'll finally find out who did it, what their motive was, and that that person yep. is put in prison for a very long time.
0: Brought to justice. Just one other thing I noticed today was that Derek Chauvin, the ex-police officer from Minnesota who was – Convicted of killing George Floyd by kneeling on his neck last year, has today lodged an appeal against his conviction, citing unfairness on behalf of the judge and issues with the jury, whatever that means. Uh, but at the moment, I believe he is unrepresented by mm. counsel because his police counsel that represented him during the trial has been withdrawn as he is no longer a member of the police. But I wouldn't be at all surprised if uh, someone somewhere puts up some money for him.
1: Mm, I'm sure someone somewhere will.
0: <laughs> but anyway, another one to keep an arm, but I suspect that won't go anywhere. Well, I hope he doesn't.
1: I mean, God, there'd be so much uproar. If,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> if, can you imagine what would happen if he was like, released or pardoned or sentence lessened or anything like that? I should, it's not even, it's i worth thinking about. So hopefully no, no. his sentence will stay put so tonight i am going to tell you about jack Unterweger. oh yeah this is another case that i was surprised that i didn't know about <laughs> okay. um so yeah so uh johan jack Unterweger was born in Udenberg, southern austria on the 16th of august 1950 to Theresia Untervega and Jack Becker. So his dad was actually an American soldier who met Theresia in Italy and he had gone back to America long before Jack was born and they never saw him again. So Jack started his life illegitimate. Theresia was a Viennese barmaid and waitress and um, some sources also suggest that she was a sex worker Um, and some people think that's how her and... uh, Jack's dad met oh, okay. um, she was jailed for fraud while she was pregnant um, but she was released before Jack was born um, however after battling an alcohol problem and taking part in several petty crimes she was arrested and imprisoned again in 1953 Ooh. when Jack was two and Jack was sent to Corinthia to live with his alcoholic grandfather in a one bedroomed wooden hut
0: doesn't sound like he had a very good start to his life
1: no absolutely not and here he was exposed to things that no two-year-old should see things right. like his granddad bringing home prostitutes to their very small one bedroomed wooden hut and it was here that I think he kind of learned that lesson that women were there to be used and nothing else that was just Hi. what women's place in society was in 1958 when he was eight he left the home of his grandfather and he was placed into the foster care system and um, he never really got the chance to form any kind of attachments with any sort of caregivers that he had meaning that he never had that kind of security to be able to develop relationships for him to be able to develop mentally in mean, attachments the most important thing in childhood isn't it and having mm-hmm. a good solid attachment with your caregivers is literally what sets you up for life <laughs> yeah um and he never did that he kind of failed at school he never really learned how to read and write um and he was known for his general delinquent behavior at school for um playing truant for not really ever being there it just wasn't a good start and actually mm. between the ages of 16 and 24 he was in and out of prison for most okay. of that time. He was convicted 16 times for theft, um, pimping out sex workers, and also sexual assault on sex workers. And as I say, most of those eight years he spent in prison. In December 1974, whilst he was on a road trip with his girlfriend through Germany, they picked up one of his girlfriend's friends, um, 18-year-old okay. Margaret Schaefer, from the side of the road. But then they robbed her and he took her into a nearby woods. He forced her to undress. He beat her with a metal rod. And then he murdered her by strangling her with her own bra. The police questioned his girlfriend, who uh, confessed immediately as to what he'd done. And they arrested him. And he also very quickly confessed to this murder, saying he'd been a fit of rage. Um, okay. Whereas kind of other sources suggest that they were just out looking for, you know, some trouble to cause. On that night.
0: But it was his girlfriend's friend.
1: Yeah. Wow. So I think his girlfriend was kind of not in on it, but you know, encouraging. Mm. I don't know what happened to her. I couldn't find out what happened to her. Um, it took until the first of June 1976 for him to be convicted. Um, mm-hmm. but then he was, and he was sentenced to life in prison. So that's the end. Good night. Oh. No, it's not really. <laughs> While he was in prison, he decided to turn his life around. He hadn't really had much of an education um, because of his awful childhood. So yeah. he took this opportunity in prison to learn how to read and write. And he became quite a prolific writer. And he wrote short stories, he wrote poems, plays, and an autobiography. He was critically very successful. He had two bestsellers. Wow. And his autobiography, um, called Purgatory, um, was turned into a documentary. He also wrote some episodes for a popular bedtime children's radio show. And he became really well-known for that. And he was very much the model prisoner. And this is he all became, while
0: he's in prison. This, this is is all while he's in prison. Yeah. Incredible.
1: He became really famous for his writing, especially being this writer who was in prison. Yeah. Um, and the fact that he'd clearly turned his life around from this kind of young delinquent who'd murdered this lady and been and out of prison. He'd gone to prison. He'd seen the error of his ways he turned his life around and now he was this writer.
0: How long was it between going into prison and then being an acclaimed writer? Because he had to learn to write. So
1: in 1985, so he'd been in prison for nine years. Nine
0: years, yeah. um,
1: A campaign to pardon him and to release him from prison was started. So about that sort of amount of time. Um, So,
0: all right, he did well then
1: yeah so quite quickly he obviously learned to read and write and i think there was quite a lot of press around it because he was a prisoner who was writing these stories and they found that they were quite good so he got quite a lot of press attention they said that he would clearly turned his life around and he was reformed so and the austrian president of the time rudolf kirschlager refused saying that well he'd been sentenced to life and so he was mandated to a minimum 15 years in prison but loads of people kind of jumped on this bandwagon to get him pardoned. So, like writers, other artists, journalists, other politicians, they all pushed for this pardon, including the future Nobel Prize winner Elfriede Jelenic. Okay, and um, and at this time, Austria was reforming their justice system with a focus on reform. Okay, and people that were kind of pushing for this change in the Austrian judicial system, thought that Jack Unterweger was a perfect example of somebody who should be released early because he'd gone to prison, he'd realized the error of his ways, he'd turned his life around, and he should be released. And there was so much pressure coming in to release him. Okay. So on the 23rd of May, 1990, after only 14 years in prison, and at the age of 39, he was released from Stein Prison in southern Austria strangely he was released without any sort of safeguards in place at all um so he didn't need to see a psychiatrist he didn't need to go and check in with a probation officer he was completely free to go on with his life it it wasn't just parole or anything like that it It wasn't just parole he was completely free straight out there so he moved to vienna where he mingled with the rich and famous and he became a really popular journalist and writer, kind of building on that success that he had in prison. He bought himself a shiny new white Ford Mustang and his autobiography was taught in schools oh, as, wow. kind of, as part <laughs> of like, the national curriculum. Um, and his stories for children were performed on Austrian radio like daily. He was, you know, really quite big and famous. He was regularly on the telly. He was hosting programs discussing criminal rehabilitation and how great it was that he was now released and what a good job the prison system were doing at reforming their prisoners. Um, And he regularly did poetry readings for the groups of women that would flock Mm -hmm. to come and see him. He became quite a kind of, you know, success with the ladies. Um, And he wasn't a bad looking man. He wasn't people, women were interested. So he'd built himself this fantastic career um, and his reintegration into society was seen as a
0: huge success. Okay. Just to recap, he'd, he'd killed Margaret, I think her name was. Yeah, was he it?
1: killed Margaret Schaefer in Germany in 1974. 1974. Right. Yeah. However, mm-hmm. what the uh, campaigners possibly didn't take into consideration so much um, was the psychopathic and really narcissistic personality traits that Jack Untervega had and the way that he could manipulate people into believing what he wanted them to believe. Okay. So in September 1990, just four months after being released from prison at the height of his kind of journalistic success and being on the telly, he started murdering again. (laughs) This time he traveled to what was Czechoslovakia where he murdered 29-year-old shop assistant Blanca Bukova. Uh, she was found on the bank of the Voltava, and she'd been strangled with a pair of stockings. The last time she was seen alive, she'd been seen at a bar chatting to a well-dressed man who was about 40, people had said. Yeah. And this started a pretty manic 10-month killing spree for Jack oh, Undervaiga. Wow. So in October 1990, the
0: month Ooh. of my birth. Yeah, very auspicious.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <man. laughs> yeah uh he continued his spree killing three women brunhilde masser who was 39 and she was found in a forest in graz about three months after she disappeared in october heidi hammerer who was 31 and she was found in december after going missing in october in a forest in Lustenau, now which is close to the german border yeah both of these women had been strangled with their own tights and in March 1991, Elfrieda Schrempf, um, who was 25, went missing, again near Graz, and then her body was found seven months later. These murders were all meticulously planned, um, and the places that he left them meant that it took a long time for them to be found. Yeah, yeah. But then he'd also kind of cover them in, like, leaves and twigs, like he did Blanka Bukova in Czechoslovakia, almost as a kind of, like, funeral ritual for them um which apparently is quite a common thing for serial killers to do to kind of have this like little kind of funeral ritual once they've left the bodies but no one suspected him at all in these crimes so in march 1991 he was living the high life in vienna and he decided that he wasn't going to travel anymore for his murders he would just stick to ones that he could find on the streets of vienna
0: he started to get lazy
1: Yeah, it was too much to keep driving all over the country to kill people. (laughs) He'd just do it closer to home. And
0: and into other countries. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But being the uh, narcissistic psychopath that he was, Jack offered to do a journalistic investigation into why so many prostitutes were being killed in Austria. Mm
0: -hmm. It had jumped
1: from less than one a year to like seven or eight in the past few months. And he was going to create a piece of work to determine why. He visited the top crime detectives and asked them, you know, why aren't the police... Do more about this why are taking this more seriously and the detective said to him well you know we're looking at every possible suspect for this including you because he was known to have been yep. a murderer of women who had been released from prison but he knows that he's the one behind this and he is absolutely loving pressing all these buttons and getting this gratification from this because he knew that they had no evidence on him wow this research also gave him a reason to visit the red light district and could explain away why his car had been seen there and why he'd been seen talking to prostitutes, you know, research.
0: Mm-hmm. And between
1: March and June of 1991, he murdered Sylvia Zegler, who was 23, Sabina Moitzel, who was 25, Karen Eroglu Sladaki, who was 25, and Regina Prem, who was 32. Wow. And they were all sex workers in the Vienna region. Yep. All of these ladies were kind of beaten and strangled, mostly with their own tights or their own underwear. And they were kind of tied off with this signature knot that police started to recognise. So in June 1991, an Austrian magazine, uh, knowing Jack's interest in and expertise in crime and prostitution, they commissioned him to write about crime in Los Angeles and the differences between US and European attitudes to prostitution. So they flew him out to LA, where okay. he stayed at the infamous Cecil Hotel.
0: <laughs>
1: so the Cecil Hotel is probably the best known hotel in LA. <laughs> Not for the right reasons. It was the hangout for notorious serial killer Richard Ramirez, who's the Night Stalker, and as well known as a place where people would go to take drugs take mm-hmm. their prostitutes um commit suicide and murder other people um it's also most recently known for being the hotel where canadian student elisa Lam disappeared only to be found a few weeks later in the water supply system on the hotel roof following complaints of weird tasting water yeah. and low pressure
0: <laughs> i can how did What's they decide she got there
1: so she, they, she was having a kind of manic episode, they think, and she kind of took herself in there and killed herself in there, they think.
0: So she wasn't murdered and dumped in there. No, she, they
1: okay. think it was a kind of manic episode. But there it was, it was like a Starbucks on the bottom floor or something like that. Who was using the same water supply. Think about the people that were using that Starbucks. <laughs> they, should never use,
0: they should never use tanked water for oh what well. Well, we would well. in the UK, I'm sure. <laughs> I think you can still stay, stay there on... <laughs>
1: You can they changed Booking the name of it. Call it's or... called um
0: didn't they split it in stay half? Stay on
1: yeah, it's kind of called... It's called stay on Main now. Yeah. You can still stay there. But um the hotel Cecil is more like um apartments for want of a better word now. So they kind of use it as like long term mm. people staying there. Um and in, and in and that then, program, yeah. won't
0: they call it the hotel Cecil or something? Cecil, yeah. Cecil.
1: Cecil. Cecil. Cecil, yeah. Cecil, Cecil. <laughs> um but yeah, you can still stay on I think this will stay on Maine. You can still stay there if you um, if you really want to. <laughs> I think mm. it would be quite interesting to see what it'd be like. But okay. Hey. So Jack met with police officers and even went so far as to participate in a ride along of the city's red light district. the police kind of took him on a tour of the red light district so he could okay. you know find his Los way Angeles, around
0: downtown LA. <laughs> yep,
1: yeah, I'm sure that was a lovely trip. <laughs> During his short time in L.A., he was there about three weeks. He killed three sex workers. Oh, you're joking. Um, Shannon Exley, who was 35 and found in Boyle Heights on the 20th of June. 33-year-old Irene Rodriguez, who was found in the same neighbourhood 10 days later. And Peggy Booth, who was found on the 10th of July in Malibu Canyon. All of these women had been beaten, sexually assaulted with tree branches and strangled with their own bras, using his signature not to make sure that it was going to be done so this kind of really became known as his like mo and i <laughs> read this thing that said like serial killers tends to have an mo because they knew that it worked because they knew that they could commit that crime they could get that yeah. done by using that thing rather than as to leave a signature behind so it was more they knew that it was an effective way of doing something so they do things that way they didn't want to kind of leave a trail which i thought was quite interesting Um,
0: Yeah, I'm just, (laughs) they take this bloke who's a known killer of a woman, that's what they know, out of the Vienna area where these people are being killed and this telltale signature knot is being used, they actually take him to Los Angeles where, spookily, three prostitutes are killed and this same knot appears in their cases. You're going to tell me more, aren't you?
1: I'm gonna tell you what. Yeah. (laughs) Well, (laughs) funnily enough, so you should mention this. So he'd been a person of interest in this case pretty much since the beginning because of his history, and they didn't really have any other suspects who they were looking at, and they took a serious look at him and what he was doing, and they kept him under surveillance.
0: In in Austria.
1: In Austria, he was kind of really kept under surveillance. So um, a guy called Dr. Ernst Geiger who was actually a detective on the Austrian federal police force, he'd never been convinced by Unterweger's act as a reformed man. He'd always thought, no, there's something dodgy going on here. Um, And when he was invited to go to Los Angeles, it wasn't just him who realised that the latest murders in in Vienna stopped. (laughs) Um, And he realised that he was going to have to seriously look at his movements and either eliminate him or arrest him. And it was just a question of getting the right evidence. So the police began to trace all of his kind of paper trail activities from credit cards and receipts and rental car agencies. After several months, they'd accumulated lots of links to his movements and places where he'd been and where his victims had been murdered. Um, They showed that he had been in Graz when Brunhilde Masser was found strangled. Mm -hmm. Um, And he had also been in the place where Heidi Hammerer had disappeared off the radar. A witness also testified that he was similar to a man that she'd seen with Hammerer just before she disappeared and that he'd been wearing a brown leather jacket and a red scarf. And sightings of Unterweger with the other victims in Vienna had also been established. I think they'd realised that it probably wasn't to do with his article writing. Okay. When he returned to Austria, he realised that he was a suspect (laughs) but they were just trying to kind of build some evidence Evidence, on him and he wrote articles kind of criticizing the police force's effort to track down the killer even more and because so many people had kind of taken a great risk in believing that he was reformed they supported him and they kind of believed him saying that oh it's really bad that the police are turning against you i can't believe they do that you're totally reformed and we like you and we believe in you and it was important that kind of Dr. Geiger could collect as much circumstantial evidence as possible, which he did from lots of different Austrian prostitutes. And he was able to carry out forensic tests on a car that Unterweg had bought on his release from prison. And a okay. hair fragment was found um, in that car. And DNA tests prove that it belonged to Blanka Bakova, who was his very first victim who he'd killed in, or who's since been released from prison, who he's killed right. in Czechoslovakia. Right. Um, and so that evidence allowed um, them to get a warrant to search his flat. When they did that, they discovered a brown leather jacket and a red scarf. And they also came across a menu and receipts from a Malibu seafood restaurant together with some photos of Untervega posing with female members of Los Angeles police department And so he thought, Oh, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna get in touch with the LAPD and just Mm -hmm. find out what's going on. He was surprised to find out when he got in touch with them that they were discovering and investigating similar crimes. So he Geiger discovered because they'd not at this point they'd not thought that they were related. On a hunch, he'd thought, I know he's been to LA, I'm gonna get in touch with them and find out if anything's happened. So when Geiger called them and said, We've had these murders in Vienna. And I know that this guy who's our suspect has been in LA. Have you had anything suspicious happening? And they were like, oh, actually, while well, you mention it, we've had three prostitutes murdered. And they realized that the murders were were identical. They were of the same sort of people, yep. the same sort of ages. And they'd all been killed when he was there at the right times. And also they'd all been murdered and used this knot to tie them up, as you said, yep. <laughs> uh, a few minutes ago. <laughs> there were kind of receipts from his apartment and they kind of correlated to hotels and the where the prostitutes were murdered and things like that. So everything kind of added up. So Jack and Vegas friends kind of tipped him off that the police were now searching for him and okay. Jack, unterweger left austria with his new kind of teenage girlfriend and they managed to enter america and oh, wow. yeah they started they managed to kind of lie to get themselves in and they started a campaign to make him look like a victim of police persecution and make him look like a scapegoat for kind of all of these murders and how could they do that to me i've only ever been a good man why why me <laughs> And he managed to persuade Austrian newspapers to kind of publish his case for defence, saying, well, it wasn't me, they're they're lying. Playing the role of like the wronged man and a victim of police vindictiveness. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of the papers even paid him for this and his kind of exclusive insight into what was going on.
0: He was a real manipulator, wasn't he? Oh, my
1: God. Yeah. (laughs) it's Like a proper (laughs) psychopath. So because Unterweger had lied to get into the US, he could technically be arrested for this. Okay. Um, but they managed to kind of track him down in Miami. And when they found him, he was arrested and he was questioned, um, obviously, for the murders in Vienna and L.A. And they kind of presented him with the evidence. He said, fine, put me on trial. And he said that he wanted to be tried in California. As he knew, he would be facing a charge of murder against just three victims rather than potentially nine in austria nine. however he very wow. quickly changed his mind when he realized that if he was tried in california he'd be facing the death penalty okay. um, because in 1990 in california they were absolutely still using the death penalty okay and i don't kind think of they prof- do
0: now do they
1: no not now it's yeah. 2006 i think but in 1990 they uh or 92 by the time this was um, yeah. they, and they they would have used the gas chamber. That was their okay. kind of preferred method of execution, which is barbaric. Uh, so he very quickly agreed to be extradited to Austria <laughs> to go on trial right, okay. there. He was deported on the 28th of May, 1992. You should have gone to Mexico. Yeah, I mean, he was so close. Or Cuba, he was so close. He played on logic to defend himself and he was saying you know why would he do such a thing he has turned his life around he's got all this fame and money why would he why would he suddenly decide to destroy his really privileged life by murdering more women what would he have to gain so before the court case commenced dr geiger enlisted thomas uh, muller chief of the criminal psychology service in the okay. federal Min- ministry of the interior to accompany him to America and learn all they could about the psychology of compulsive serial killers, which Mm -hmm. was obviously something that had been done with the FBI in the criminal profiling work that had been done and kind of championed by Robert Ressler and John Douglas of Mindhunter fame.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: So through the briefing with the Behavioural Science Unit at Quantico, which is where the FBI was based, I learned that the other day. Um, <laughs> Geiger and Muller discovered that there were standard forms of behaviour relating to murderers like Unterweger, who also displayed like deviant sexual obsessions that usually followed a pattern. And although most serial killers rarely move from one country to another, the details of the deaths of the LA prostitutes were just too close to those ones that were happening in Austria to be coincidental and with the timelines and everything.
0: Yeah. Taken to Los Angeles, the murders stop in Vienna and start there. Yeah, and then yeah. he moves back.
1: Ooh, and, yeah, <laughs> and, then, um, and
0: his telltale knot.
1: <laughs> yes, and they did analysis on these knots to check that you know they were actually the same knots. They weren't just looked, and they they were absolutely identical. They all matched together, and this was really the most tangible evidence that they found to use against him to say you're yeah. clearly this person who's killing all of these women. So in June 1994, in Graz, the trial began. Unterweger, as an Austrian citizen, was to be tried of all the murders in LA, Prague, and Austria, which I thought was quite interesting that he was tried of all of them, not just the Austrian yeah. one. He played to the gallery and utilised his very well skilled of skills of manipulation mm-hmm. by appealing to the jury and the public sense of fair play. And he was saying that, yeah, I'm a... Love rat, and I can be a liar, and I consume women rather than love them. Why would they kind of, you know, who's being so honest, who's saying, Yes, I'm like this, but I would never do something like this? You know, why would they not believe him? And they kind of all got caught up in his charade. What the defense didn't count on was the response to kind of questioning from the prosecution based on those psychiatric reports that they did Mm -hmm. Um, and just pointing out that he wasn't a rational person. His brain didn't work like everybody else's. He had these uncontrolled compulsions and fetishes and it didn't really matter what status he held in life. He would just kill. It was an addiction. It was a thrill for him. It was just something that he could not get away from. Um, And the fact that, you know, he had got away from it in such kind of broad daylight, essentially for best part of a year, was just kind of fuel to his fire that he could just carry on doing it.
0: His, his ego.
1: Yeah. The other evidence that was kind of presented was things like the knots, the fact that the knots were the same. That Blanka Bukova's hair was found in his car. Mm-hmm. The red fibers found on Brunhilde Massa's body from his scarf. It, it was quite a compelling case for yeah. the prosecution. Yeah, really. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, but, that
0: sounds that sounds like really tangible evidence. I I just struggle a bit with the idea that of the psychological expert witnesses just saying, "Well, you're clearly deranged." You're, I don't know how they yeah. would convince the jury that. Of what they were I think saying, it all just I'm, helps I'm... to
1: kind of build a character, doesn't it? And so right, this is okay. the sort of man that he is. The fact that he's been playing this person all this time when actually we've got very compelling evidence to say that he's been murdering women this whole time whilst he's been doing these things. But he was still, all the way through, he was saying, nope, I didn't do it, it wasn't anything to do with me. But two and a half months later... Even the most supportive people of him had started Mm -hmm. to kind of change their views and think, okay, maybe maybe this was him. And (laughs) he began to lose support from the literary establishment as well, who were obviously in his corner for such a long time, cheering for him to get released from prison. And also his new girlfriend had decided to kind of turn her back on him. Jack Unterweger was found guilty of nine counts of murder, the victim in Czechoslovakia, all three Los Angeles victims and five in Austria. Um, And the court sentenced him once again to life in prison. And the kind of final twist in this tale is that Jack Unterweger, being a man who, like many serial killers, had a preoccupation with control. He couldn't handle not being in the driver's seat and some sort some of say on the night that he was sentenced, he took the opportunity while guards were out of sight to hang himself using the string from his prison jumpsuit, ah. um, using the same knot that he had uh, so <laughs> cruelly used on his victims.
0: So he did. He hanged himself. So he did.
1: He hung, he hung himself and he hanged himself and he died in June 1994. Oh, wow. And... Uh, I saw this in a couple of places, and I'm not sure if it's kind of verified, but because he died before he could appeal the verdict, which is a thing in Austrian law, it was never legally valid, which means that according to Austrian law, he is innocent because he didn't get a chance to kind of appeal the verdict. I don't really understand, (laughs) Um, but that could be a a quirk in Austrian law.
0: So you have to say uh, you are convicted as a murderer but not really. And then you say, am I really convicted as a murderer? And they say, yes, you really Yes, are. you are. Yeah. And say, and because oh, you okay. hadn't been properly. <laughs> but there's
1: a similar law in America, isn't there? Or if, I'm not sure if it's a bad translation, it's like, if you are on appeal and you die, then you are oh, found guilty.
0: Yes. Uh, yeah. um,
1: in Massachusetts, because when Aaron Hernandez um, committed suicide, he did it while his appeal was going through. So it meant that he would officially die an innocent man, which meant that his daughter could um, inherit his money.
0: Right, so I wonder it's if okay. it's something
1: like that. So he was kind of on appeal rather than waiting for an appeal. Right. Okay. Um, and then he kind of killed himself, which made him be regarded as innocent. Well, wow. yeah, that is Quite the story, a story. of yes, Jack sure. Unterweger.
0: Yeah, another yeah. F- incredible twisted story.
1: <laughs> I couldn't believe um, it. Like. Oh, I'll kill some people here, and I'll just pop over here, and oh, I'll just kill some more people over here, and
0: how just out, like
1: got away how, with how it. How yeah. brazen he was that he just thought that he could get away with it.
0: Absolutely
1: crazy, yeah. And the fact that he essentially bought all those people over to believe that he was innocent initially, because the fact that he started killing essentially straight away after he came out of prison, I don't think that he was really. Uh,
0: Ever reformed? Ever reformed? Was, Ever he? Reformed, was, he? He, was he just, just waiting to get back for the opportunity? Yeah. Crack
1: on! And he managed to make a lot of people believe him. Any pictures? Yeah. There are some pictures. Yes, I will share them. Picture of his books. I think you can still get his books actually. Um, I I'll, I'll really look on Amazon. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I was on to my birthday. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a really interesting story. Yeah, and uh, complex. Yeah. I'm sure at the time they were really scratching their heads, but now it all seems so obvious, doesn't it? <laughs>
1: yeah. I just can't believe that he got away with it. And I think it's another classic story of this is something that you just wouldn't get away with today because of mm. tracking and phones and CCTV and yeah, all that yeah, sort of yeah, stuff yeah. that exists now and, that uh, um, was so in the 90s.
0: these days they wouldn't just let somebody out early, end of. Be just because people wanted them to be released from prison. They'd be on some yeah. sort of, yeah, condition. If there was any hint of anything going on, they'd just have been straight back into prison.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I will share some photos. You can find us on Instagram.
0: Dad and daughter do death.
1: You can find us on Facebook.
0: Search for dad and daughter do death.
1: And you can get in touch with us by email, by emailing us at...
0: Dad and daughter do death at gmail dot com.
1: If you have enjoyed this episode and it's your first one listening to, thank you very much for listening to us. Yeah, please do much. go and have a listen to the others. Thank you to everyone else who is still tuning in and listening every week. We hope you're still enjoying it. And if you are, please do leave us a review, a like, subscribe, download, all of those things that you yeah, can do on your really preferred podcast platform.
0: It'd be lovely to hear from you, yeah.
1: Yes, please do get in touch if you have anything to say.
0: So join us next time. And once again, dad
1: and daughter do death.